I will formally now kick off. Wayward, bring your own cocktails. That is, we're not, we're just listening. Uh, okay. And, and if everyone can, else can just mute their um, mute their microphones for now. Um, Jerry, we've got heaps of people have been uh, saying hello in the in the chat here from all around the world. So I'm going to um, save that for later and send it to you so you can see all the messages you've been sent. Um, Wonderful. But, yeah, so just so you know you're in the right place and you're not at Introduction to Excel Spreadsheet uh, 101, this is a super wiki wayward cocktail Zoom with uh, Jerry Wannett, producer and production designer from Supernatural. I just wanted to start by um, acknowledging that I'm broadcasting to you from the uh, lands of the Kulin Nation, uh, the traditional owners of the people of the Bunurong, Dajurong, Tuggerong, Wadurong and Woiwurrung people uh, on land that was never ceded. And I pay my respects to the elders of those nation, that nation past and present. And also would like to acknowledge any other First Nations people here today. Um, Jerry has been generous over the years to come and talk to um, Supernatural fans in Vancouver on three occasions and once on a beach in Hawaii, which was that was, that was a happy, that was, happy coincidence, Jerry. I know. I, we have to do that again. I was thinking about that because they have such a low rate of COVID, you know, since the beginning, that would be a fantastic place. You know, I don't know, but I was going to, I meant to ask you that, you know, with your friends at Creative, um, if you just mentioned that, I mean, and the yes, boys I, seem to, then, you know. I will certainly pass that on to, I do know someone at Creation, I will pass that on to them. I think it would, uh, anything to get us back to conventions uh, Absolutely. I think we would uh, both uh, fans and cast would be would be very thrilled to it. Um, and Jerry, part of the reason we're here today is uh, well, with after 327 episodes in 15 years, the show has finished, and just as we were all extremely sad and dealing with our grief, your book. Uh, documenting those 15 years came out, which has given a lot of us a lot of joy. I think Jensen described it as uh, being like the supernatural equivalent of his high school yearbook, that uh, every page he looked at uh, brought back lots of memories, and I'm sure there were lots of memories for you putting it together. Um, but to start, I suppose, uh, back at the beginning, because... I mean, what you've done with the sets on the show was really so integral to what fans came to love about the show and made Supernatural more than, uh, you know, another generic uh, sci-fi show, as did the performances and the scripts and everything. But what was it that drew you to working on um, Supernatural those, those 16 years ago now? Because I knew at some point we'd be doing these wonderful little... <laughs> and I just want to say cheers to everybody and welcome to all my friends, family, crew, who's ever out there. I'm so grateful for all of you because without you, none of this would have been possible. So first and foremost, thank you. Cheers, Jerry. Cheers. Um, well, the true story is I was working on another project and I had gotten a call from my agent and they said, um, 
Jensen's coming up to Vancouver to do a show. And I didn't even ask what the show was. I didn't ask what it was about because I had spent uh, two years with Jensen on Dark Angel. And he was such an incredible talent that just stole every scene that he was on screen. And he came in as like the third wheel because we had Jessica and then we had Michael Weatherly who both had fairly good careers. And, um, and Jensen came on and just was magic. And uh, our, our dear friend, Tom Wright, uh, cast uh, Jensen in his first uh, episode. And we killed Jensen that episode, but like <laughs> Supergirl, we liked him so much. And because, you know, Dark Angel was a bit about mutants and you can recreate and build Darn and whatever. You're... Yeah, so we brought him back in for season two as one of the main mutants. And again, you know, he just was, he was a great guy, but he also just was this incredible talent. Um, you know, I always say he's, he's like the George Clooney of his decade because the guy can um, do drama, he can do comedy. He's a very good director. Um, you know, I don't think he's tried his hand at writing yet, but I'm sure he would do great. So that that's a really special person, especially that, you know, as, as uh, with the leading man, good looks, and yet to have that command of, especially the comedy of the timing, because that can't be taught. That's just something that you either have or you don't have. And he is, you know, the stuff he does off camera, like you guys see in some of the reels, uh, the gag reels, it's just crazy funny, just crazy funny. And then he gets Jared going and everybody else. But um, that was such a big part of, Again, uh, there's so many elements that made us continue on for 15 years. And part of it was the boys, the way they demanded the set was run. You know, I'm not talking about like going over the heads of the ADs like Kevin and, and Johnny Mac and Gabe and those guys. It's really more about, you know, nobody's gonna get pissy. You know, we're gonna treat our guest stars um, with all the respect of, anybody that's a full cast member and then they were so willing to come back and word got around and you know there was a lot of other actors that wanted to do our show just because they heard it was a, a great show to do and there were a lot of fans of our show um but getting back to your question Jules is really I just took the show because of Jensen and I wasn't a huge fan of like the horror genre but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to see what Jensen was doing, was up to. And then after meeting like Kripke and, you know, finding out more about it, I mean, it was just incredible, you know, what they were up to. And um, then, you know, we all kind of got on board and we got our team together and, um, you know, we were off to the races. But uh, initially um, I watched the pilot. I loved it. But I, I took the show long before I watched the pilot. I just took it purely because Jensen was going to be on it. And that's that's who I, I thought, you know, this guy's going to do a show. It's going to last at least two years. You know, <laughs> that's a long time in television years. That's a, two seasons is a long time. Yeah. Three is like the holy grail because then you're getting close to, uh, you know, enough episodes to go into syndication. 
But here so, we are. Jerry, back back then at the beginning, obviously, uh, you know, it was very much set as both a um, an on the road series, but also a horror series. But did you get any particular brief around the aesthetic or generally of the show, or did you have? you know, pretty much free reign, um, I'm thinking, because you've brought a very particular style to the show um, that's incredibly distinctive. Um, where did that come from? Well, I was very, very fortunate because, you know, when we started out, uh, the first director we had was David Nutter, and I was so overwhelmed because it's David Nutter, you know. I mean, now he's like the top director and, you know, almost all mediums, uh, his work on Game of Thrones is incredible. Uh, but just to interrupt, just, for, pe for people who don't know, um, David Nutt is also known as the pilot whisperer. I think he had, at the time he did Supernatural, I think he directed a dozen pilots that had all been picked up, which is a absolutely phenomenal strike rate. Yeah. And uh, uh, I know Kripke has acknowledged that getting, getting him a, a attached to the pilot in the first couple of episodes was... Uh, a huge part of the show getting picked up is uh, oh it was I mean because of that pilot I love the pilot I mean and it was all I mean it was the boys and it was David Nutter I mean he just he's just a magician he's an incredible talent um, but uh, so anyhow when we were first starting to get our feet it was like everybody had so many other concerns that they weren't really zeroing in on what I'm doing I came with a pretty strong let's say, uh, I don't know if you pedigree or, or what I do. I mean, I came from just working with James Cameron for two years and, you know, they, they I think they trusted me enough to let me see what I was going to do. They gave me enough uh, free reign to get in trouble or to do something wonderful, <laughs> you know, that, um, but it was, you know, I mean, and Eric always had really good insight. I mean, Eric was just incredible. He's one of those guys and I've been fortunate enough to work with, uh, you know, Cameron and, and John Woo and Eric. And he's like, one, he's right there with those guys. I mean, you know, those and those guys are, you know, legends. But he's always the most interesting guy in the room. And he has thought through, uh-oh. <laughs> I don't want to distract you, Jerry. Keep talking. I just oh, people don't okay. look at my face all the time. <laughs> oh, Okay. But I don't see my face, but, that, but obviously somebody else. So anyways, that, that's me with my longtime art director, John Marsnick. And uh, yeah, that's probably year one, uh, year one or two. So anyways, geez, if we go back there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so what happened after... You know, we had Nutter the first one, and there was a lot. We built this huge cage set with Wendigo. And then we had David Jackson come in and do Hookman. And Hookman was a mess. I mean, it was just, nobody quite had their footing yet. And really, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, just, we just were kind of not, not, not there yet. And um, it took like three other directors to come in and do extra uh, shooting. And we didn't air it as the second episode because it wasn't ready. I think we aired it in like number seven. But then we went on to do the airplane episode with um, Jared and Jensen, and that was Bob's episode. And Bob got the boys to be brothers. I mean, he was just like, it's, a, it's the third one out of the gate. 
And it was the first time when you watch the dailies and you watch the episode and you watch them shooting it, you went, okay, I get, I believe it now because, you know, there was no pauses when they were doing their dialogue. You know, they were actually forming this bond as brothers right in front of your eyes. And, you know, it was, it was just an, an uncanny, incredible, but, you know, Bob's a, a really, really talented director and, he has a way of making actors feel like very comfortable and, and gets to the story. I mean, you know, the greatest wisdom that Bob imparted on me when I directed was just think about the story. And I, and I do that in my designs too. I mean, it's really like, you got to start with the story, but um, I think going back to your question, my love of Americana and 50s art, architecture, cars, all that stuff. I just, I've always just been attracted to that. And since we were in a 67 Impala and there was really no reason not to play with that, especially because we were always in uh, small towns. So the motels, I mean, I could throw them back to the 50s anytime I wanted to and nobody batted an eyelash because you got the 67 Impala you got guys in flannel shirts and we're listening, to, you know, Led Zeppelin or ACDC and, and, you know, so that all worked. And, um, and that was another genius point by Kripke. He goes, we're not going to date this show. So by 67 Impala, the boys are dressed in like, you know, stuff that people have been wearing since the fifties, you know, flannel shirts, jeans, boots, um, leather jackets. It, will live on in per perpetuity because it's never dated. Mm. You know, the music, I mean, classic rock from that era is always going to be classic rock and will always be, you know, a popular. So uh, that was a really genius uh, uh, edict by Eric in establishing some of the Bible for, you know, our show. So Jerry, I was going back and looking through the motels from the first season and obviously that distinctive sort of, um, you know, 50s look was there from the beginning. But um, around the time, and I think I, I think this was, um, where are we? Uh, probably the first one where I really noticed, I think your sense of humour coming in, which also became very distinctive, um, was in, where are we, Hell House. And let me get this up on the screen. I'm sure fans will remember um, this particular one. You can come in. Sorry, I've just uh, got too, too many windows open at the moment. Um, it's... Oh. Give me a hint. There we go. Can you see that, everyone? Everybody except me. No. No. No, you can't see that. Sorry. It uh, says... Uh, anyway, it was Jared in a, a towel. It was in the Western Inn in Hell House where there was a stuffed armadillo and a, a Western theme all over the... Um, all over the wallpaper, but there's a, a point where the the motel started being more than just a you know sort of fifties homage, and started having a very distinct and cheeky character to them. So, did that sort of uh, you know I suppose that was sort of halfway through season one, and you were everyone settling in, 
is that, I suppose, a feedback from the humour in the scripts and the boys and you realising that that was a big part of the show? Uh, yes, all of the above. And there was also one other element. Uh, there was a very nice guy that worked at Warner Brothers uh, in the marketing department and, you know, a sweet guy. But he came to me about three or four episodes in and he goes, we're going to make a deal with Motel 6. And I went, you're going to what? He goes, yeah, we're going to have it because there's Motel 6s everywhere. So every time the boys go on the road, they're going to be in a Motel 6. And I said, okay, then you should probably find another designer. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, look, every week we are in a different part of the country. Part of my way of telling we're in a different part of the country is through the motel rooms. And it also gives us this sense of Americana and, um, you know, it's any town USA yet, like with the armadillo, I, that was somewhere in Texas, obviously. Um, I'm looking at the image now and, you know, I had, um, you know, uh, the reason this all evolved too was because I have such incredible artists, Yeah, you know, between the people that uh, think of the graphics and, you know, do the sort of uh, uh, the little pop-up cards we had and, you know, things like that or the stuff that goes on the walls. But then I also have like these extremely talented painters like Monique Mies, who's been with me now for 21 years and as a dear friend. But, you know, I would just go, hey, Monique, you know, we're supposed to be in San Antonio. Let's do the Alamo. And I've shot at the Alamo, both the film set and the real Alamo in San Antonio. And she goes, okay, you know, and then we go about doing it. And um, because you can buy wallpapers that have murals and stuff. And we started kind of with that. And then I went, yeah, that's, you know, still a little too, you know, cheesy or, but it's not good enough. You know, we can, we can push this farther. So then we just decided that, you know, uh, sometimes I'd have Leanne or Marianne lay it out as a graphic and then um, pass it on to Monique and she would just kill it uh, as far as, you know, applying it to our, our motel set. Um, and, and let me um, give you a point of reference, not only for motel rooms, but for anything we did as far as a set, because every time you get to a new show, they want, oh, we want to be out of the box. Everything's got to be out. <laughs> you know, I'm so sick of that. But um, when I talk to young designers and when I talk to people about what I do and, and how to get there is you got to start with the box because going back to Bob Singer, Kim Manners, people that are storytellers, you got to tell the story first. So you got to make sure within whatever motel, whatever haunted house, whatever I'm, whatever we're building, that you got to have the layout so that you can do the blocking to tell the story. Once you feel comfortable and you show the director, go, okay, this is where the bathroom is, this is where we want to do there, then you kind of go away and they don't care anymore because that's that's really what they care about. And then they show up and it's like, what the hell did you do? You know, <laughs> but I mean, it was, it was fun because, um, you know, Kim Manners had a great sense of humor 
And he would just come in and he would just shake his head. He would just <laughs> like, cause he was, you know, he was expecting just, you know, paneling and a linoleum floor. And every time he walked in, cause I'd never shown before. And he would, oh geez, not, oh, you know. And he would just. <laughs> well, Jerry, I've got, a, I've got someone who's got a question about something which I know is one of everyone's favorite motel rooms. Uh, yes. Jesus, one. If you'd like to unmute yourself and ask your motel room question, that's G-I-S. Hello? Yes. Can you hello. hear me? Oh, hello. Oh, my God. Uh, I was not prepared. <laughs> and I'm sorry I'm not on video, but something's wrong with my camera. So I'm Giza. I'm from Orlando, Florida, uh, via Germany, born in, in Berlin, Germany, but been here for 25 years now. And um, yes, my one of my favorite amongst many, many favorites, but one of my favorite rooms is the disco room from Provenance in season one. Um, first, because of the design, because it was just so funny, but also the way they shot the intro to the room of just keep panning around and then ending on the boys and they're both just stared at each other and went, huh, and then it just flowed on. And it was just so great. Who came up with that design? And was that one of your attempts at, at very well-placed humor? I just love that room. Uh, yes, thank you very much for the question. And I'm right down the street from you in Jupiter, Florida. Oh, lovely. Yes, yeah. we are uh, sweating today. It's hot here. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, anyhow, by that, that was toward the end of the season. And by that time, because I, Jules, I sent you the, a picture today of the first motel room we did. And I pride myself into being, you know, a little bit out of the box, you know, within the box. So I did a motel room. I thought that when the boys walk into this, they're going to have a reaction because it was so throwback. And there was, there was a lot of really good detail. And I'm going like, and when I really like a set that our team has done, I'll kind of stand back in the corner and watch like Jared and Jensen come in or the director come in and just see what their reaction is. Because to me, it's, you know, and I always tell our, our crew, it's like an art opening, you know, this is our art. So when it's all fine, like finely dressed, painted, everything's done and the actors come in and the cameras come in, that is our opening. So a lot of times I'll have them come around and, you know, uh, take a look and, and, and watch the reaction. And um, unless it's a bar, because then the night before we shoot it, we go in there and we christen it. And that's been <laughs> oh, really. Oh, yeah. You know, and we've had uh, Jensen come in as a guest bartender. And, you know, uh, we did that with Tom Wright uh, in Tom's bar for the, the Barfly bar, which is, you know, one of my favorite bars. But, okay, getting back to the disco. So the first motel, I thought, wow, that, you know, that should get, you know, somebody should say something. Nope. And then every, every motel, I kept on stepping it up. You know, we did the mud flap one, which I thought, you know, the Mudflap Girls was a lot of humor. It was great color. It was red, black, and, you know, um, there's the Disco Motel. Um, and still, yeah, people liked it. Kim, Kim was still shaking his head. But for the Disco Hotel, um, you gotta look. the Disco Hotel was, um, it was the last episode of that season. Phil Segrisha was a director, and, and Phil and I, we, we became fast friends. Um, you know, he grew up not too far from I did in Michigan. I grew up in Wisconsin. We had very similar sense of humor and our love for music uh, was 
really tight. And um, so we got to be very good friends. So again, I didn't let him see it. I let him see the floor plan and he had no idea because there's no exterior. So it just looks like a piece of plywood until you open that door. And on the day, you know, Phil opens the door and he goes, holy shit. He goes, now what am I going to do? Because he goes, I mean, I, they, they're going to have to react because, I mean, you don't just walk into this motel room without reacting. And, um, and, but Phil just decided, well, first of all, let's just set up the camera and see what the boys do when they walk in. So the boys walk in the first time and they look around and they immediately both ran to the beds. They both jump on the beds across <laughs> and they're dancing, you know, they're just going at it. And it was a lot of fun. And the, you know, the crew was just cracking up and, and then, um, you know, Phil being the genius that he is, he, he, he found that moment where they just, they just came in and very deadpan looked around and then they kind of went, huh, okay. <laughs> you know, and, um, but that is um, absolutely uh, in my top 10 of all the motel rooms we did. And, um, you know, it, again, you know, it started off and, and none of these were written. It, you know, it's like nobody wrote, we want a disco motel. Nobody wrote, we want a mud flap girl motel. It was never in the script. It was just motel. And um, so, you know. So what, 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 that, what, do you, what are some of your other, uh, in your top 10, Jerry? I know it's very hard to... <laughs> Well, it was hard. Um, I made a little list and there's, and every time I look at one, I get a, you know, a, a, a add another one. Um, the mud flap and the, and the disco. We also did a really sweet motel uh, after Kim passed away. It was a Kim Manners hotel, I think, you know, um, where we had these um, beautiful stained um, canoe paddles because Kim liked the water and he liked fishing where we put his initials on each paddle and it was part of the screen. Uh, that's another element that very early on, I developed this love for screens and it, it did two things. It really was a nice bit of decoration and it also gave you a little separation for when you walk in the door and where the bed is and what have you. But more importantly, as a director, so many times you wanna be able to pan through something interesting and then you find the actor. So this is basically just a built-in foreground piece in every motel. I, I think out of the 175 or whatever motel, Jules, you probably know more than I do, you know, but I know there's around 170 some motels. I think probably 150 to 160 had screens. Yeah. And, you know, Jules has been up to the art department many times and- um, That's yeah, an exa example of a gorgeous shot through the, screen yes exactly so we put those in there and it was up really up to the director it's up to his discretion if he you know is going to pan through there or not yeah like but okay you know look at looking at that one you got up there now Jules here's the thing when you take a chance with color and screens and all that if you look at between the tabletop the wallpaper the screen the stove the countertop all that plays together and it drives me crazy when, like, if you just did one of those elements and then, like, disregarded the rest of the room and just played it straight, it would look stupid. But it's done all the time. And people go, oh, yeah, but did you see the screen? Well, that's not enough. 
because it looks out of place. You know, when you, if you're going to go down that road, and that's why some of our stuff is taken so far, like the disco. I mean, I, that one, I didn't start off with the screen. Okay, that's that's on my list as one of the favorite. That's oh, okay, the, we'll, come, we'll come back to that one. <laughs> but, but, um, but that is a pet peeve of mine. It's like, look, out of the box again, I don't care what you're doing, but it's got to make sense in the context of whatever set you're on. You can't just throw a spaceship in the middle of a barn and go, wow, did you see the spaceship? You know, it, it doesn't work that way. Well, it's about uh, that, that um, you have to believe you're in a world, not, not, so it has to be immersive, as you say, uh, carried through, because otherwise, of course, people would be saying, why is that, you know, if you turn up at the Sheraton and there's a beer bottle room divider, Yes, you know, exactly. going to throw you out of it. You're going to go, what the fuck's going on here? Whereas this was part of, uh, you know, the Winchester world was these, that was the sort of motels they were going to. That In that in, in their world, motels looked like this. Yeah, and that the famous beer bottles that actually lit up screen, um, that was because that episode took place in Milwaukee. Yes. And when I was, Milwaukee was the beer capital of the world. And we used to actually skip school and go down and tour the breweries. But the, the number one beer in the world at that time was Schlitz. And my uh, art department coordinator and dear friend that's been with me for over like 17 years is Susie Schultz. So we just took Schlitz and turned it into Schultz as you could, as you, it, when you see on that logo. And um, we did, because we were in Milwaukee and, and you know, then it all worked. But again, the colors in the beer bottles and the colors on the walls and the, and the screen and the table and the chairs at all, you know, it's all part of the, the aesthetic. It's not just, you can't just throw out the, like you said, you can't throw, a, a, you know, the beer bottle screen in, you know, Marriott. So um, that's, what, that's. What some of your, and I, just for people who've been to conventions in Vancouver on, um, Bob Barron's new show, Kung Fu, this week. The Sheraton turned up as a hotel in Singapore. I thought that was... <laughs> oh, really? You've been to Vancouver. It's got a very distinctive entrance, and uh, I had a little giggle to myself. Um, yeah. So back to favourite motels, Jerry. Um, you know, I really liked the um, What Dreams May Come True as a Steve Boyum episode where they were... Um, they, it, it was... I think Eric wrote it because it was out there, um, yet it was fun, or else it was, um, um, anyway, it was about uh, ayahuasca that, you know, that what you drink and sort yep. of, um, and um, so, but the whole, we did this really long hallway and it was a really intense forest motif. And so as, Jensen was walking down the hallway that basically the wallpaper became alive and it looked like he was, because he was, I think it was a cut, it was a cut from a forest. And then he all of a sudden he ends up in this, in this hallway. And he Actually, has no idea. Was, uh, um, Sarah Gamble, Catherine Humphrey's um, script. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And I'll, we'll talk about Sarah later because I, I think um, one of the wonderful things about the longevity of our show obviously is, you go from Eric to Sarah to Jeremy to Andrew, and we never missed a beat. And that's that's incredible, you know, because that's where it starts. But but I really, um, and then on the inside, 
because we wanted to make it freaky. So we found this like peacock wallpaper. We saw, we found some real peacocks and, you know, so it, it was stuff that like, if you're tripping and, you, and this is your room, <laughs> a rough time. And then um, Robert Leader did this beautiful screen as an MC Escher bird flying motif. And it was in front of Robert's desk, uh, uh, Jules. Oh. Um, but yeah, there's the wallpaper. I mean, and, and again, you know, with that bright peacock wallpaper, you know, then, you know, George found a great bedspread and the great green shag carpet to complement it. Yeah. Because again, if, you know, all of a sudden you go to the other elements, don't complement that. You, you know, you just, you don't want to take people out of the store. So that's why you have to make that inclusive, you know? Because um, otherwise you just go like, what? Why, why am I seeing that, you know? So um, anyhow, so that's another one. I liked the kingpin again, that was, uh, they were somewhere in Wisconsin and bowling is a big thing. So we did the bowling pin screen and uh, I liked the asphalt uh, siding and the inside of the motel on the wall and, you know, and I, I loved the neon we did for that. Um, the Days in, which is the one you saw in Changing Channels, which, you know, we had to do the very uh, distressed version. And then we had to do the pristine version where the beautiful uh, uh, swimsuit model came out of the bathroom, and you know. Uh, but that was just an incredible episode. And, um, you know, just as far as episodes go, the amount of sets that were done and just the visuals with the, the game show and um, and the boys were just so up for it. You know, they so Jerry, were just... They, they, um, this is the sort of distressed version and then there's the the one that was in the fantasy land. Were they actually... Um, was the look changed um, in post or was it actually different wallpaper and stuff? No, no, we built uh, two different ones. Okay. We, we built them, you know, on the same stage and we just went from one to the other because um, you can't... Um, I can tell immediately if you're just doing that in post right. and because we spent enough time in there, uh, I didn't want to do that. Um, and that's the way I approach most things because it's really, uh, if you rely on somebody else and you have no idea what it's going to end up looking like, where if you shoot it in camera, then you have control. And, you know, too often people just go, oh, we'll just do that in post. Well, it's not that easy. You know, it's still expensive. It, it, it rarely looks better unless you're dealing with fire. And I mean, Mark and those guys, incredible. Yeah. Uh, Mark, uh, you know, LaRoche and, and um, those guys are just, you know, just Grant. All those guys are just incredible. But I like um, to have it. In I've got another question here, Jerry, from a fan. Yep. Jen, Jen Gregory, would you like to um, put your microphone on? Um, I was just wondering if you could walk us through the process of how you design the set, like how far in advance you have, like how much time you have to put something together and do you collaborate with other departments beforehand and kind of what that whole process and what groups you work with. And I'm Jen from Massachusetts. <laughs> well, welcome. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I missed the first part. When you said tools that I work with, do you mean like, um, computer stuff or do you mean just like uh conceptually till when we start building right like when, how far in advance do you like get the script and then how how long do you have to like put it together and what other departments do you have to kind of work with to 
get it to the final product, I guess. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, well, normally we have about eight days before we're gonna you know, need that set. And there are special sets, obviously the mental letters we had um, almost a month to build the mental letters, uh, but that was 20,000 square feet and you know, um, half a million dollars or whatever it was, I don't even know. So that, that's, a, that's an exception, but most of the time we are building um, about $180,000 worth of scenery in eight days. So every episode is, takes eight days to shoot and we have roughly 60 people but you know, I have an incredible group of 60 people. My construction department with Warren and Andy and Dean and, and, and uh, Wendy who keeps us all in check. And then my paint department with Monique and, and uh, Ilya and, and uh, uh, the, you know, this great group and all my carpenters. And um, so it just, everybody gets together and we just have to go at it full, full speed ahead. But as far as collaborating with other departments, you know, we've been doing this for a while. And yes, you absolutely have to. Like I talk to Serge every day and uh, Serge is our cinematographer. So, because he's got to be able to shoot it. And there's, I got to make sure that he has enough light to light our actors. So um, between talking to the writers first and making sure that I'm not missing anything. And I never really let them know what I'm up to. I just kind of like, <laughs> I want I go through the broad strokes and then I just, you know, go off and get stupid. Um, but uh, absolutely with, Serge is the first person I talk to. And then it's like the Michael Mayo, who's our uh, best boy lighting uh, electrician and his whole crew and, you know, the grips because they have to, you know, all this rigging. And then, you know, I have a really close relationship with the stunts and special effects and I have a really close relationship with Mark and the visual effects guys because it all has to work together. And that's, that's the thing about Supernatural. And when you direct Supernatural, you're gonna get a crash course in everything about film because every episode has special effects, visual effects, stunts, and you know, what have you. Uh, so that's all those elements are most shows have one of the above. And a lot of them don't have any of them. They just have, you know, you, you do the straight dialogue and you're in a, in a house or whatever. And, uh, but you know, our show is like this action adventure um, horror show, so. So Jerry, I wanted to share some of the um, actual, aside from sets, but actual whole buildings that you built in about eight days, which is just berserk. Um, this is the, um, church from the finale sacrifice yes um that's one that's one of my favorite that's uh phil did an incredible job with that uh, but again you know as written you know there's no way to do that mm. right because you know that's where all the angels fell to the earth and it was so cool because we were out on this sort of spit and so we had all the water reflections and it was a night sky and you know, I mean, and Phil, I got to say, I mean, I just, that was one of my favorite episodes. He just um, did an incredible job with that. But uh, yeah. That's from uh, the end of season 12, uh, where um, Ka uh, Kelly gave birth to Jack. We have Tula here, Jerry's dog. Um, 
another another build. Um, this is one of my favourites from um, season nine, um, where you just whip up a, a bar in the middle of nowhere. Well, I mean, that's, again, what happens is the writers write a roadhouse in the middle of nowhere. Because, every, you know, what, whatever place we go to, bad things are going to happen. So <laughs> you can actually be in a nice neighbourhood when you're going to be in a bar and everybody in it gets slaughtered by nuns. I mean, it just <laughs> really, really isn't uh, good for the neighbourhood. So, and for some reason, I don't know what these guys, their reality is, but They've been writing stuff like that since day one. And luckily, I mean, thank God we had, you know, like, uh, you know, Cyrus to start with and then Jim and Craig and, you know, Bob's always been with us. And when I go like, sorry, you know, but we're going to build that. And nobody gets like, uh, there's not a big committee meeting about it. They trust me to go like, okay, um, if it is, if it doesn't exist and we can't control it, then let's, you know, Let's not waste days thinking about it. Let's just do it. You know, um, is the the second one is such a small one? Is that the is that the house that Jack was born in? Yeah, that one. Yeah. So there again, I mean, I looked for a week at different cottages, things on you know that are nice in the you know kind of out of the out of nowhere, and I don't it, it, when you uh, remember the um, the other universe where we had the sand dunes and I had the angel blades sticking out, uh, yes. the alternate universe. So we were, we were at the alternate universe and um, my location person said, have you ever seen Manatee Bay? And I said, no, I never heard of it. So we drove through this tunnel and literally a quarter mile from where we had the alternate universe, these you know, uh, desolate sand dunes was this beautiful land on this, again, it says on this little isthmus that is surrounded by water with the mountains in the back. And I just called Bob and I said, and I, that, that was the episode I was looking for that cottage. And I just couldn't find it because again, uh, there was some very specific geography that had to work in discovering Jack and all the stuff around the, the you know, where the, um, the little, fissure was that they had to go through and all that so uh, I just called Bob I said Bob I'm sorry but you know what we're gonna have to build this and he goes okay you know you know he said I trust you go ahead and so we built it the bad part was at the end of that I said this isn't coming back right because that was a, the season finale I said this isn't coming back uh, or should we keep it here and just pay the rent on the, the, the property? No, no, we're never going back there. Get the script for the first episode. <laughs> there it is. So we had to build it twice. Oh, my, you rebuilt the whole house again. Uh, we built the whole house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we did that a number of, with a number of sets. Um, because what happens is a lot of times, and, and this is what happened with that one, is... So we shoot it. Now it's going to be months before the, it airs and before you go through post. And during that time, the writers are going, now, you know, that was a one of, we're not going to use it. So just, you know, and I always make sure I call, hey, you know, we're not going to use this. Okay. So in a dumpster it goes. And um, then here we go. I mean, the, 
Another beautiful set we did was for Eric in the last episode, I think of season four, we built that beautiful church um, with all the marble and choir yep. loft. And it was just like, I mean, it looked like, a, it, you know, everybody thought it was a real church. We, we got calls from everybody going, where's that church you shot? You know, but we built that on stage. And again, it was the season finale, uh, not coming back. Okay, then you get the script for the first episode of season five. They're in an airplane and all of a sudden they get bolted back to earth and they're in the church. <laughs> you know, so we had to build it again. But um, getting back to the long about way to your question, most sets are built in eight to 10 days. Uh, there is uh, sometimes, if it's a really involved set, uh, since they're eight day episodes, so you have eight days that you're prepping uh, while they're shooting the episode previous. And then if you, uh, Kevin and Johnny were great at this, they would schedule the big sets that we were building the last two or three days. So meaning that instead of just having um, the um, eight days, you had the extra four from until we shot that. And then you have, uh, you know, so you had 12 days. So that was, but that's about all you got. So um, just uh, one, one thing that did change later in the show, Jerry, of course, was moving to um, the bunker. Uh, we've had a few people, I'm just trying to find, a few people ask, I'll get, uh, here we go. Jackie M, would you like to unmute and ask about, Jerry, about your bunker question? Hey, Jerry, I'm from Coppers Cove, Texas. I love the book. I love all the little things you put in there for Wisconsin because I used to live right where you grew up. Oh, great. Where did you live? I lived in Two Rivers. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and I worked in Manitowoc. But my question is, um, what was your inspiration for the bunker set? And then what, if anything, of the set has been saved? Well, we'll start with the easy part. Um, nothing's been saved. Uh, it, it, um, there was somebody that wanted to actually make a museum out of it in Branson, Missouri, and was willing to pay for the shipping and all the cost. And, uh, our, you know, our network said, uh, nope. And, um, so it, there's nothing saved. Um, that was, uh, that was a tough, one. but the inspiration came from a couple of places. Um, and it wasn't really from the writing, even though I love Adam Glass and he's a very good writer. <laughs> Uh, he wrote it as Hitler's bunker, which was just concrete and um, very uninteresting. It, there's nothing designerly about it. And for me, a lot of times when I would look at a set and it was, I'd look at the potential. If we do this right, it could last a while. They, they, you know, they might use it for two or three seasons or whatever. They, even two or three episodes would be great uh, because a lot of them get thrown away after, uh, as soon as they, as soon as you get done shooting them. So I approached it like, uh, Phil Segrisi kept on sending me things with these great libraries and stuff. And um, and I was talking to him and then John Marcinick, my uh, art director, we were, you know, and I, I have a very open dialogue with my art department and, my research people and all that stuff. And the best idea wins. But after like going over a bunch of stuff 
and looking at the dates when the Men of Letters was formed. And I think Adam Glass did say that the, the Men of Letters were akin to the Freemasons. And I had shot in uh, quite a few Freemasons temples and things actually in Texas uh, because they're just beautiful pieces of architecture and they're well-preserved. And, and um, so I went like, okay, so during the time period that the Men of Letters was um, formulated, it was really matched up pretty well with the WPA movement, which was a time in the United States where it was just uh, trying to get out of the depression. It was just post-depression. And so and the government- was, uh, Roosevelt's New Deal. Yes. Investment and it in was, public works and- yeah. it, was the, it was the Public Works uh, Act. And so that coincided with our deco. It just so happened. So that's why you see a lot of these uh, public buildings, you know, they can be libraries, they can be, uh, it can be power plants, what have you, but they're done in the art deco style because that was the style of the day. So um, that was like pretty common. And I don't use art deco very often because it's, to me, it's like a sucker punch. It's, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, but I can get sick of it really fast if it's just gratuitous. So I went, all right, but this is a time, you know, like if we do this on a large enough scale, then it'll just look cool and you won't go, you know, it's just a frivolous art deco. And so that was the, um, that was a jumping off point. So we did a lot of research at different things. And for me, the thing that was missing was this element of like, okay, this thing's underground and it's got all the latest technology of the day, but what's the power source? You know, how did, you know, you know, you got it. Somebody's got to turn on the lights here. So we uh, developed a thing with Mark um, to do an Art Deco power station built into the side of, hit, side of a, a hill that were, we had this door to the Men of Letters, which we didn't use that often but we created this doorway and these little steps in and as an exterior that we could park the Impala in front of and they'd go into that. And then when they open the door, you're in our set on stage. But the CGI stuff, and there's, a, there's an image in the book just as in the groupings of the um, pictures of the mental letters of the exterior of said power station that was the reason that these men of industry decided to build the bunker where they did. And, um, but I mean, Jules has heard me tell the story and it's, it's not a, you know, a diss to uh, Adam Glass, but, you know, we had the, the, the whole thing was built and it was a huge like thing in the media about like, oh, this new set and the boys finally have a home and, you know, it looks great. And so Entertainment Tonight was there filming Adam walking through the set and he's right even with me. And I don't think he you know, knew I was even there. And they go, so Adam. When you wrote the mental letters, is this the way you envisioned it? He goes, this is exactly the way. <laughs> and I just laughed. Yeah, I just, but I love telling that story. Um, so. One thing about that set, Jerry, uh, when, when you first designed it, there was obviously like the main war room and the library and the wonderful telescope. 
Um, But there were things like where you moved from that, there was corridor area, obviously things like Dean's bedroom, that was almost like a modular thing. You could move bits of that around. And obviously over the years, other rooms, we got to discover other bits of the bunker. But when you started with that, how much in your head did you have, uh, like, I suppose, you know, future-proof it in terms of we'll have this basic design but we'll, you know, make it flexible? Uh, that was uh, very intentional from day one. As we knew that this was an underground maze of many things uh, because there were so many different disciplines, and that's why I put the telescope in there, which Phil hated, um, so I'd, I'd always, you know, <laughs> I was directing, I would do a nice tight close-up on the telescope. But um, because there was astronomy, astrology, chemistry, you know, everything, um, you know, computer science uh, in its, you know, very earliest forms. So uh, in order to make that believable, you have to have a chemistry lab, you have to have, you know, a telescope, you have to have, you know, and there was physics and all this other stuff. So. We made it very modular. And, you know, again, we decided on this tile and then Monique did these samples of this great tile. And so we made, um, you know, we came to the agreement that all the hallways would be the same. And basically anybody who was in residence there, because all these guys were, you know, CEOs or, or leading doctors in, in whatever their field was, they would just come to stay at the Men of Letters uh, during times of, um, uh, you know, where, where there was a, a, a problem and they had to come and, and um, be in residence. So it was sort of like um, everybody had to be treated equally. So they're dorm rooms. And, you know, there's only slight variations between uh, Dean's room and Sam's room. It's basically, if you think about it, they bought all the furniture at the same time. So all the beds are the same, the desks and all that stuff. They just arranged it differently. So that's um, that gave us the flexibility to like put a stairway at the end of one hallway and all of a sudden you're going up and now you're into the hospital. And, you know, that was all very um, predetermined. And that was always, you know, like from the beginning, from the onset, we, we, we knew this was going to be something we were going to have to deal with. So we had a lot of hallways going to nowhere and then we could just plug into whatever we needed to by putting a staircase, putting another hallway or another doorway. And then we opened it up and all of a sudden we're in the boiler room, hospital, electrical room, you know, Dean's man cave, you know, we had all this stuff and, and it was always fun um, because every director wanted to uh, put their mark on it. And, and, um, but it was also very functional. I mean, like that staircase was steel, and there was the platform above it was steel and everything was hung from the ceiling. So all the walls could move. Every bookcase was on wheels in the library. So the camera could be just outside the set and use a longer lens. Every one of those columns moved around. I mean, you know, it was just, it was a set. You know, that's, that's why you make a set. You make it very versatile. So every director, no matter how, much fun they want to have with the camera, they can do that as long as the stuff is movable, you know, as, as long as it can fly. So that was um, pretty much it. I was trying to... Someone asked whether there were 
Uh, here we go. Freya from Scotland. Would you like to ask your question? Hi, Jerry. Um, this has been really interesting to hear your perspective on everything. Um, were there kind of certain props or set elements that you use with episodes by specific writers? Um, for example, I noticed a lot of Steve Yoki's episodes that seem to be red boosts of pretty much all the diners. Was that intentional or did that just happen to happen? Um, you know, Steve wrote very interesting stuff. And I'll, I'll put in a plug for Steve because I love uh, his new show, The Flight Attendant. Um, Jules and I talk about that. Um, uh, I use red a lot uh, just because it works with the Americana and, and uh, what, I'm a, what I'm going for. Um, I did some stuff with, uh, St well, Steve's episode because, you know, either had dogs or uh, he, he just always had interesting elements. I mean, um, but the, the red boots, I, I would love to tell you that, yes, it was just, you know, an homage to Steve and to his, <laughs> his writing, but it was, it was, it just so happened that um, it, it is kind of a, a good color to be in a booth for, you know, those, those sixties, fifties diners. And, um, but um, the, the one thing that was interesting and it was a, a Steve wrote Richard Spates episode where we have all the stick people and, you know, Richard is very mischievous, as you know, he's the trickster and, um, and you know, and, and, and Richard just likes to have, he likes to have fun. He likes to just go to another level. So with each episode, with Richard, you know, you find something that's fun that we can build off of. And the one with uh, Steve, with the, uh, the stick people that were being ascent, uh, you know, uh, assembled in the cellar. So then I found this wallpaper that was all sticks and trees. And we just went on this theme and we just jammed with it. And, and, and that's always fun. Um, you know, it, it's fun when the director is just in on it and wants to just go along and, and a lot of times they're the ones like with Phil, he always instigates it. You know, he just comes up with these wild ideas. Hey, what if we did that? And I'm going, Hey, sounds like a lot. But so while, you know, while, we're, while we're talking um, directors, Jerry, I think a friend of yours, Amy has got a question to ask about directors. Hi, Excellent. Amy. Hi, Jerry. How are you going? Good to see you. Hey. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's lovely to see you. Um, I just wanted, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about some of the directors you've worked with. I mean, you've worked with some that have worked across, you know, uh, feature films like John Badham and Eduardo Sanchez, and, and you've worked with some, like you were just mentioning, Richard Spade Jr. and Jensen, who sort of were starting, starting up on Supernatural with, with directing. So um, I just wondered if you wanted to talk about some of some of your experiences with different directors on the show. Thanks, Amy. Great to hear from you. Um, I loved all of our directors. I mean, we really got, I, I was thinking about that today before we went on the air. And there's not one director that just go, oh, geez, I never want to see that guy again or work with him again. And um, the guys like the David Nutters, the Jeannot, you know, Charles Beeson, John Badham, Tom Wright, um, Kim Manners, you know, those guys were just phenomenal. I mean, just, it, you know, because that's that's film history. You know, those guys are just like, they're, they're legends. And what happened was, I don't know what year it started, but 
we started sort of like a dinner thing where my wife and I, every Saturday, like either during prep or shooting and sometimes like with Tom, right? We do it every night when he was here, but we would got to dinner and just talk and, and get to know him. And, you know, it was another element in that same group and a big fan of the show was S.C. Hinton. And, you know, that's another uh, level, but to get to, to sit down with these people and just talk about their families or talk about their careers. And, you know, it, it was absolutely amazing. Then it was, it's funny because there were all these directors and they all had a certain role to play to make the show what it was. And meaning that, you know, you knew what you're going to get when it was a Charles episode and a Kim episode. And then Bob, Phil and John Showalter were, you know, that was like our, they were our go-to directors. You know, they did the majority of our, our episodes and you knew you were going to get a great episode no matter what. You know, I don't think any of those directors ever did a bad episode and most of them were fantastic. And then you had, you know, guys like Guy B and Robbie McNeil and Jay Miller, Jay Miller Tobin, Steve Boyum, Nina uh, Lopez and Amanda Tapping, you know, and, and they brought just this freshness. So along with Richard Spate, you know, because they were in a mean, um, Cotterall was another one. Um, they just brought this new energy, right? And that was cool. So um, I don't know if I'm getting at your question or if I'm answering it uh, very well, Amy, but I loved them all. And, you know, like Eduardo, I mean, here, got, here comes a guy that wrote, produced and directed, you know, Blair Witch. And Eduardo and I are great friends. So it's just been, we've developed these wonderful relationships and, you know, as much as I loved working with them, it's even more important now to just be their friends and uh, to maintain the relationships. But there's nothing like sitting in a booth in a restaurant with Tom Wright, John Batham and SC Hint. You know, I mean, it's just like, you're just a fly on the wall, you know, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And, a very quick story about S.E. Hinton. During season, I don't know, maybe two, one or two, S.E. wrote Eric Kripke and said, I love your show, just want you to know. And Eric really didn't respond because he thought, well, this obviously is a prank. This, this can't be, you know, because he was like a huge fan, as we all are. And um, then she wrote again. And Eric goes, oh, this... This, this is, this is real. <laughs> yes, he hit and this is outsiders and yeah. So, and that started a tradition where Susie would come twice a year, every year and bless her heart um, because, you know, she, she had uh, bad hips and, 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 you know, didn't really move that well, but her determination, I mean, she wanted to be there when, the first shot was going on and she'd stay there till wrap. And she was just such a, uh, and still is, she's a great friend and, and what a, a nice addition to our, you know, group in the a supernatural universe. So, but uh, Amy, I, I hope I sort of, you know, uh, answered your question. I mean, the, the one thing I, I can tell you, like um, let's say John Batham or Tom Wright, like John Batham would get a script and he would just go in his director's room. He would not come out until he made it better. 
And John got some scripts that weren't the best ones, but he always did phenomenal episodes. And it was just through sheer determination and his will and not to do something that was not up to his standards because it had his name on it. And I mean, I just, I tell people that story all the time. Tom Wright, I mean, you know, this is Alfred Hitchcock's uh, storyboard artist. And there is a wonderful new book. I'm gonna show it to you. <laughs> Hopefully um, you can see this. No, no, there you go. Yep. This is, um, Tom Wright did every painting for the beginning of Nike album. And that is, it's just a wonderful book and, you know, I, I, it just amazes me how talented that man is and, and what he did. I mean, they would just give him five scripts and say, go do five paintings and we'll see you tomorrow, you know? And um, it, it was just amazing, but we were so lucky to have him. And, and part of the reason we got Tom right was because we had a working relationship from, from Dark Angel. And Jensen and I would talk on the set a lot and we go, oh, you know what? You know what we need on this show? We need Tom Wright. And, um, you know, now here we are, the show's over. But, you know, the episode Baby will always be in the top five of any, you know, supernatural episode in the history of whatever, you know, who's ever looking at this show. And um, that was, was, we were all awestruck to see Tom work because, here we got this script and we got the idea and Robbie's a fantastic writer and we all sort of got the concept, but none of us really knew how to attack it. And Tom comes in on that production meeting, the, con the concept meeting, and he just goes, bah, 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 bah. you know, we're all going, whoa, you know, he had it all figured out. And then we just followed his lead. And it was just amazing. It was just like, here's a guy who's 80 years old and he figured out something that, nobody else has ever done before. And, you know, so that that's special stuff. I mean, it's really special stuff to, to be around those guys. And you know, I mean, just his humor and his constant bantering, but lovely, lovely man and very talented, you know? So, I mean, I, I was very blessed because I, I, I got to know these people, you know, on, a, on another level and, you know, it, it definitely um, shaped my, you know, my film. I mean, that, that touches on something that I think we all are very aware of with Supernatural was the, the culture on the set. I mean, I think. Um, Did you notice my straw? Did you notice my straw matches my shirt? <laughs> See? And what did I, what I tell you? Shirt, yeah, very short shirt. No room. <laughs> Um, I think one thing that made Supernatural really unique was uh, the relationship between the fans and getting to know not only the lead stars but, but you know, getting to know people like yourself and, um, you know, through social media. But we got a glimpse into the amazing culture on the, on the set and um, things uh, which obviously, you know, you've touched on there. Um, and I know you and I were talking earlier just like about the charity work that you did uh, as a crew. Did you want to talk a bit about, about that? And, and I suppose becoming um, like the, the mentor in uh, Vancouver for a lot of younger shows as well. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I was so proud of um, the sort of the social consciousness that, you know, we had on, on Supernatural. And that was, you know, that started with, you know, the, the Cyrus's, the Jim's, uh, and then it, and Bob's and it went, but, you know, it really stuck with the boys. I mean, at some point, um, the boys just went like, you know what, we are so blessed. Let's spread the wealth here. Let's, let's, let's help people out. And it got, it was really contagious. And, you know, we started uh, participating in these challenges with all the other shows in Vancouver. And, you know, we did the dunk tank, which are infamous and the pie throwing contest and, and what have you. And um, it was so cool because we were always like fiercely competitive with flash or, you know, other WB shows, Supergirl, And um, Jared would always keep tally. So we were always neck and neck with a couple of shows that were going to be, Oh, did you hear the good doctor is going to win the good doctor put in more money than any other show. And, you know, all of us contributed, but Jared would just be sitting there and right at the last second, he would just go like, okay. And he'd push all his chips in and go here. And it didn't matter if we beat them by $10, but you know, he would, he would make sure that we, we were the top money winner and charity giver of all the shows. And I thought that was wonderful. And, you know, Misha's presence was so uh, contagious with all the good works he did on, uh, um, on his, um, um, stuff, um, with, um, his random acts. And, um, so, um, but, you know, that's, that's just another element that, you know, you don't normally get because nobody cares, but these guys, they, you know, they just, they always care. Um, you know, they used to, they were such huge um, fans of Make-A-Wish. I mean, we probably had more Make-A-Wish than any other show in the history of film. You know, we had, uh, I think it was like almost one a month, which is incredible, you know? Uh, so these, um, that's in, just to see these kids light up because they get to go for a ride in the, in the Impala and what have you. And, uh, and the boys just were so sweet to them. Um, you know, that was, it was, uh, it was a real sense of pride, you know, that to be a part of that. Yeah, Cause that's, that's again, you know, uh, one of the things that I get asked all the time is how did we last 15 years? And How did it last 15 years, Jerry? I'll ask that question. Let me tell you, um, there was an inordinate amount of uh, not only very talented, but very great, you know, like-minded people that were, um, you know, sweet. And uh, we had the same goals. And, you know, it started at the top with Eric and Bob and Phil. And then it went down to the writers and then, when Eric passed the torch to Sarah and then to Jeremy and then to Andrew, um, you know, but we were, it was always a very collaborative um, environment, you know, no idea was like, you, you know, like no matter who it was, I mean, like if I came at Eric with a stupid idea, he might laugh at me sometimes, but he never like said, that's a really stupid idea, you know, and most of the time we just started a little dialogue and we went batted it back and forth until we worked something out. And that is a 
role model that should be followed. I mean, it's just like giving, you know, you hire all these artists to collaborate with and to make your show better. And, you know, for me, I had a, I always had a very open door policy where everybody in the department, that's why I've never, ever had a office. I have a desk in a room with everybody else in the art department. And I want to hear what they're talking about, what their, what ideas are thrown around because best idea wins. And that went like, I mean, we had, we had such talented people in every department and, um, you know, like Serge and his guys and what he did every week, every day, you know, was just, you know, an incredible feat. But he also had the backing because sometimes it wasn't fast enough and sometimes uh, whatever. And he didn't waver. He just did what he did and knew as an artist would look the best and be the best for the show. And that all contributed to being on for 15 years. So it's like, I remember at about year five, because you know the curse of being on a show for any length of time is you're probably not going to get another show for a while because <laughs> now producers, all the people that have been asking you, like if you're available, they just finally stop asking. <laughs> and you know, Serge and I went out to dinner, um, and we were just saying, I, I, I just said, Serge, you know what? This is about legacy now. Mm-hmm. I said we're in this, so. I think we should just stay with it. You know, let's just see it through. And he agreed. And, and that's why we, you know, stuck with the show um, because both of us had many offers. And, um, but you know, it's, it, it was an incredible place to do our art because we had uh, more creative freedom than any other show. And that is something that for a cinematographer and a production designer, you can't, you know, the ask for more. You know, there's no, no, nothing to replace that. But um, so, Jerry, I want to try and get to a couple more questions from absolutely. Um, so, Hakari from the Pacific Northwest, do you want to unmute and ask your question about set deck? Unmute. Okay, here we go. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Yeah. Okay, hi. So hi. my question is, where do you find most of the stuff that goes on set? Because I know you guys end up having to get rid of it in the end. But you had, like you said, you've done over 170 hotels. Each one of those has unique stuff in it, like all the lamps that you get. Specifically, well, I don't want to get into it, but there, there, there's a couple hotel rooms that a couple friends of mine have really gotten into that we call the emperor and empress rooms from uh, 15 episode season 15 episode 16 um what was it called anyway drag me away oh yeah and and it's the the orange theme and, and kind of teal themed rooms and the lamps and everything it's just so put together where do you find all this stuff <laughs> Well, I have an incredible set deck department. Um, you know, George Newman and um, Lori Gillis and uh, Jim Thorburn are the, you know, George is the decorator and then Lori and Jim are the chief buyers and then, you know, Cindy Rose. Um, so they, they scour everything, you know, they go to junk stores. We do a lot online. I mean, we'll go on to Craigslist and just, they just don't stop. And, you know, whenever they find something cool, they just buy it because 
you know, we don't know when we're going to need it or when it'll come up. So we just collect all these elements, but it is one incredible scavenger hunt. It is like, you know, there's no magic to it. It's just hard work, but, um, and you also have to have an eye and, and, you know, after a while they knew what I was about, what I, what, you know, what I was looking for and the whole Americana feel and, you know, yeah, teal and orange are great colors because, I mean, I'm a big fan of Googie um, design, and that is also in that wheelhouse. So, but really, it's Craigslist, and it's it's uh, social media, and it's just just scouring stuff and looking, um, you know, different different places online and 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 um, different sites. But really, it's. Um, you know, there's no place that you shop for this. You do, you go to junk stores, you go to um, Goodwill, you go all over the place and they do every day. And, and then they ask other shows and they, they you know, there's a couple of uh, set deck houses, but they have really, we at the end had a stage, our stage four and, and Jules has seen it, had more and better and cooler stuff than any of the set deck houses in all of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, you know, George uh, spearheaded that whole thing and he would just buy it and we'd find these cool drapery. And a lot of it was made, you know, like if we were going to do an orange theme room and we needed a bright orange bedspread, well, you know, we're going to, you know, find a fabric and we'll just have it sewn up. Same thing with our curtains. So the bedspreads and the curtains we could, you know, make. Um, it got a little harder with, you know, we could paint lamps and things like that, but it wasn't that, you know, effective. So, but Jerry, some of them, I know some of the fandoms, uh, one of our hobbies was spotting things that reappeared, such as the um, starburst clock is a great, oh, I think there are a couple of them and the deer's head, but there are a few, um, gorgeous items like that that became a bit of a fandom game of um, spotting when those iconic pieces turned up again. Yeah, well, I love Star Clocks. I mean, I'm a big Nelson fan who did like the original stuff and he also did the Sputnik lights, which I'm also a fan of. But I just, you know, that there again, we're right back to Americana and, you know, I love Star, Star Clocks. So we had probably 20 of them, you know, and did you take uh, any of them home no i didn't take any i really didn't take anything i I just you know when it ended i was i mean i got a few little things but i you know i got my photos i got my memories you got 15 uh, years (laughs) i got 15 years and and um but what you know one thing I wanted to touch on, is, which is part of this, I suppose, but also part of your love of, of art, um, was that you used a lot of art from, like, actual artists. You mentioned Monique before, of course, but often, yeah. uh, whether it was hotel rooms or wherever, um, the art on the, the walls was actually, and I know even um, murals and or uh, graffiti on brick walls was often done by Vancouver artists. I know um, Daniel Danger, who's um, uh, quite well known and 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 a favourite of mine, who's done gig posters for Nine Inch Nails and has a yes. very particular uh, style as well. His his paintings appeared in a in a number of episodes. So that was something you you obviously loved being able to do. Yeah, I learned. Um, 
I did a show in Hawaii and the, at the time, like right at, right at, in like 2005, people started getting very litigious. So no matter what you put in your set, you better be 100% clear that that artist has signed off completely or they were going to get sued. It, you know, one of the biggest ones was that um, um, Al Pacino movie as a devil that was the, the, the main painting was a painting they never cleared. Yeah. And that artist sued the production for like $3 million. And, you know, it would have been much easier to give the guy 10 grand and say, I want to use it. So, but all the studios got nervous and, and they are to this day. So, I mean, I, I love using local artists uh, because I, I just, I love meeting them. I like, you know, their work. So um, I started doing that. I just started going around to art shows and um, I, this artist that I used a lot, uh, Christian Nicolay, um, you know, he just does great work. So if I needed like a, a Banksy on a wall or that, that, that by the German disco that we did for Nina, um, that you guys came and saw, you were there for the convention and we were working in that alley and Christian was putting up the graffiti there, uh, you know, but he would just go like, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, the guy gets a lot of money for his work, but, you know, for us just to do it, just to hang out and Christian here, just go ahead and you know, just give me something interesting here. I'm not going to, you know, whatever you like, whatever you think's cool, but, you know, and then I've used Monique's artwork in many sets, like the beautiful painting behind, um, Rowena's desk, that's a Monique, and you know that um, in uh, um, a means episode where we were at the high end office where everybody gets slaughtered at the Christmas party, um, you know that artwork was uh, a lot of Monique, and it was also Christian. But um, it's just, yeah, I like to support local artists, and it's also. Um, really smart to get somebody you know and use their work because then you have, you know, control and you have their, you know, you know, they're, you're not going to get sued. And, and, um, but um, no, for, you know, and to be, you know, to be honest, like when, when Monique first started walk, working with me on uh, Dark Angel, she was showing art in, you know, Europe and she was, she had a pretty good, a very nice career just as a, as a fine artist. And, but I immediately fell in love with what she did with, for me too. So like in Dark Angel, she would do a painting every episode because one of our characters was an artist. So we said, I said, okay, Monique, you know, here you go. And it was really just to keep her around, you know, keep her <laughs> interested because, you know, the reason that we get to do cool stuff and the reason that there's so many beautiful images in that book is because I have a stable of thoroughbreds that do incredible work. You know, I mean, from Warren and his group to George and his group to Monique and Roger before Monique and, um, you know, K props, uh, all these people just really care. You know, they really care and they're really, they're all artists. They all, you know, they really, you know, do great work. I mean, some of the drawings that Robert did for our specialty props, you know, for just different gadgets and things like that. Robert has a great hand. Andre, uh, again, did, uh, you know, did most of the drawings for the mental letters. Gavin, you know, does his thing uh, and uh, does great work. But I can't tell you what that's like to, no matter what script you read, you're not intimidated. All you, the only choice you have is 
what it's going to look like. It's not like, I don't know if I can pull this off because I never have to, I never have to go there. I know that I have these guys and girls with me that are going to just kill it. I just have to figure out what they're going to kill, you know, but that's a huge, huge. And and that's why I've turned down a lot of jobs because I did a job in Hawaii and I just, it was great. It was fun, but I couldn't keep what I was used to. I couldn't keep the level of art that I wanted to put out there. So that always bothered me. And, you know, it takes a long time because most of these people have been with me for 15, 20 years. So we grew up together. We all understand what we're looking for. And, you know, if there's a thing for a specialty prop and it's 3D, you know, Marianne Liu is like a world-renowned sculptor, mm. yet she's in my graphics department. So I remember you- seeing her um, sculpting, uh, was it season 14, the Sleepy Bear Inn? Oh, yeah. And sculpting the 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 little bears that were next to the bed, like out of polystyrene foam. It was incredible. It was yeah, no, and, and but you know, I can't tell you what a what a leaf that is to have that in house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you find sculptors, then you got to go through this whole thing about if they're available, da da da. And again, you you're in eight days. You got to just do yeah. it. So I just get big blocks of foam. I go, Marianne. Here's a, here's a bear that, I, that I'm thinking about, you know, but I need it to be 14 feet tall. <laughs> uh, okay. And, you know, you know, and Marianne did a lot of the, like the Rowena's throne. And, um, you know, that's another thing that was all, all sculpted, you know, that whole, you know. All those huge sentinels in the, in the hallway yeah. that were polyphone. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a big deal, but Again, you know, having the people I have, um, I'll never forget. We did. Um, you know, once you do the tech scout, you're going to shoot basically in two days, and it was uh, the last episode, probably of season two. And it was the one where they had the cemetery with the mm-hmm. uh, big vault with the the, the uh, gun that uh, you know the, yeah, the Winchester, yeah. yeah, the Colt that fit in there. Um, anyhow, so we go on the on the tech scout and. The place that we picked to build the cemetery was just a mud bath. And we all looked at each other and I said, don't even think about it. And, you know, I said, okay, all right, we're going to do it. And we just all moved to the stage and Avo and Sean and Eddie and his guys just knocked it out of the park. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't tell that was on their stage. And they, and they really literally had like four days to do a full forest you know, with this, with all these monuments and stuff in on a stage. And, um, but again, I would never have offered up the fact that we, you know, let's just do it on stage. Had I not had, you know, the Avos and the, you know, and Dan Hermanson was with us. He just wanted to design the whole mechanism where the clicking and the, the cold fit in. And, you know, he's an, he has an industrial design degree and he's now designing the new Superman, uh, Superman and Lois. And then, you know, John Marsnick, my other, our director is over on uh, the good doctor, but and and I'm so happy that you know they're doing their own shows and they're both doing great. But um, again, uh, you know, it's this is a team sport. And you so, know, Jerry, from- after after 15 years and all those challenges you had, of course, it was almost weirdly fitting in a way that 
you ended with a huge challenge, which was, of course, being pulled from uh, finishing the season because of the pandemic and then having to come back six, nearly six months later to shoot the last two episodes. So do you want to say a bit about what that was like? And, and, and of course, Supernatural was really the show in Vancouver that, you know, was the first big show back and, and uh, led the way for how the industry has been able to continue um, on since then uh, safely and successfully. Yeah, that was um, that was bittersweet. That was tough. That was really tough because, as anybody who's received our book knows, we were doing this beautiful set. It was going to be the best version of a House of Blues on the planet, and Kansas was flying in to play for our last episode. So when we saw the exterior Harvells with um, Dean and uh, Bobby on the outside. Well, when Dean saw Sammy on the roadside, that was not gonna be on the roadside. That was gonna be basically, Dean goes into Harvell's, or no, uh, Sam goes into Harvell's and Dean's in there, you know? So the House of Blues set was the interior of Harvell's because, you know, we're in heaven, so it can be anything. So we put this, we had the set probably yeah uh, half to three quarters built. Uh, it was going to be just beautiful and and the cool thing was we had all these other people that were on our show like Samantha and and um, I mean everybody that died basically was in heaven. So when you opened that door to that Kansas concert, we were going to have the all star cast right everybody that we have dearly missed since their passing was going to be in that scene. And then, then the crew at the end would have came in. And so it was going to be a really nice way to tie it up and uh, hats off to Andrew and Bob to figure out how to, you know, turn that around because that was a very specific, huge, big ending, you know, that, you know, we had a, it was the perfect ending. And now you had to come up with an alternate. So um, they, they pulled it off. They did a great job. It was poignant. It was, you know, um, because a lot of discussions in that last year is whatever we do, we're not going to go out like the Sopranos or Ears. <laughs> it's not going to just be, you know, a box show. And, you know, so there was a lot riding on and, um, and, you know, I, I, I was very, you know, I shed a little tear there, shed a little man tear uh, being on that bridge. And, uh, but I thought it was, it was really nice. Uh, it was that last week we were all in shock. I'm not kidding. I didn't even know if I was coming, going or, you know, cause it was just so surreal. You know, I refused to go down on the set and watch the mental letters being torn down. Um, I had to walk through once and it was almost all gone. I just got sick to my stomach, you know, cause it was just, it was too much. You know, that's a lot of, lot of days, a lot of hours, a lot of, lot of uh, emotion into that one. And I know Jensen was, that was Jensen's baby. I mean, Jensen loved that set, you know, more than, you know, anybody else. He just, uh, it was his home. You know, he goes, we finally found a home, you know, because there was times when they were th talking about, uh, you know, uh, Lucifer coming in there, whether it's Pellegrino or Shepard or whatever, and destroying the place. 
And Jensen goes, no, I can, <laughs> I can, no. Not on my watch, not on Dean's watch. And nope, come up with something else. So, but yeah, that was, uh, uh, you know, yeah. it, it's great because, you know, if you didn't care, if it wasn't as, as traumatic as it was, then, you know, it wouldn't have been worth it. But the fact that we were all so invested, um, that's what made it worth it. And that's what made it last. You know, everybody cared. And, you know, I guess, the, you know, really the biggest thing was the boys' willingness to keep going. Yeah. You know, they just, because uh, they had, they could have gone anywhere. And um, without them, there's no show, obviously. And without our fans, there's no show. So thank all of you for being so loyal for so many years. I mean, it just was wonderful. Um, well, I think, I mean, it's a it's an endless circle, really, isn't it, Jerry? Because without without everyone continuing to put in for 15 years, you know, the boys wouldn't want to stay. You know, if you weren't making the best sets ever up until the end, you know, the fans wouldn't have been watching. You know, if the writers weren't still producing great scripts. So it was, you know, I yeah. think as you touched on before, that artistic collaboration which happened at all levels of the show, um, that energy was obviously still there throughout and, um, we fans continued our obsession quite happily and continue it now. Um, thank you so much for the book again. I think uh, I have it on my coffee table and, you know, every night and go to another few pages to, to look at the sets and, and some of them because they're... Um, they're lit differently, the ones that are taken not as, you know, it's not lit as they were on um, on the screen. There's so many more details I can see. And um, as you know, for years we've been pour pouring over, you know, screen captures of, of, of motel rooms and, and bars and everything. Um, and it's lovely to have that. It's a, it's a beautiful, it's a piece of art in itself for us to, to, to have. And I know that... Um, uh, well, it sold out in 24 hours the first time around. It still is open for pre-order for the second run. Um, people can go to the Insight Editions website um, and I'll pop the link up again. It's on the front page of the SuperWiki, but you can, um, you, I'll pop it up again on Twitter. Um, Jerry, and, and Julie, yes? do most people know like what the, the cover represents? Because you're one of the few people that were in on it. Plus, you, know, you, you tell us, Jared, share, share with everyone. You know, since we started, um, I wanted to make a, you know, photograph, um, photograph diary of what we do. Because, you know, in my experience in all my years in Hollywood or, or in Vancouver, um, if you don't take the pictures and if you don't document it, they're gone because you're never going to get it from publicity or anybody else. So I started making it a point to whenever we did a set to go down and document. So at least at the end of the day, everybody that worked on the show had an opportunity to have this little memento. So I did 15 years of books and Jules would come and I would show her the books and, you know, and I'd go, Jules, I'd love you to have these, but I can't sell them to the public. And I never got a dime for them. I never, you know, as with this, I don't have any, uh, vested interest. I'm not a, you know, participating partner or anything like that. I just did this because I wanted you guys to share what, you know, the joy we had and, and, and the beauty that we've created for, you know, 15 years. But every one of those 
images on the front is a separate book that I have and that I created for 15 years. And um, so it, it's funny because this wasn't going to get made either. And as much as I feel bad that Kansas didn't make it and we didn't get to do our final concert on set for our season finale, if they did, you wouldn't have the book because we took that was left from Kansas and we were able to convince Warner Brothers. And I tried to do this for the whole year. I mean, I've been trying to do it every year because I made the other books and I wanted to just share them. I said, look, you know what? There's people that would love this stuff. And, you know, anyhow. Um, so they finally, after I did a rough draft and I showed them several pages of what, what I wanted to do, um, they went, wow, you know? And then when I got, and they still, it was, it, so originally it was just for the crew and everybody down in Warner Brothers. Then when they got the whole book and they saw like what it was going to be, they went, oh, we got to, we got to sell that. We got to make this available to our fans. And, and, and that was wonderful. And I, I do have to thank um, Leanne Olazicek and um, uh, Susie Lavoger and Carolina Ramirez and, uh, and, and Stephanie Falcos for helping me put this all together because it was like, 12 hours a day for a month, just like nothing but going at it because we didn't get the okay until after we knew, you know, Kansas wasn't coming. So we had to finish it before we got, we got off the set. So we just all like really, you know, put our heads down and, and um, pulled it off. But um, I'm, I'm so happy because it was something that I had, you know, talked to you about Jules, you know, first it was going to be a five-year book, maybe a 10 year <laughs> And then all of a sudden, it's a 15-year book. There's 327 episodes. And there's some cool stuff here. And the cool thing is, and you, you touched on this, is the fact that we all see the, the show. But a lot of times you see 180. You might see, so you get half the set. And nobody gets to see what the other half is. And it's, you know, you build a set so the director has the ability to shoot 360. So whatever he wants to do, he doesn't have to worry about being off the set. But can I shoot that direction? It's just like, I, I, you know, it's been my philosophy to just finish it. Just finish it. Let him walk in and then it's up to him. But you guys never got to see the other half of the set. And in this book, now we have a lot of the reverses and a lot of the other elements yeah. that were in these sets that you would have never seen because it, it doesn't make the cut. It doesn't, they don't shoot it. And or, or, it's, yeah. or, or it happens to be one of, you know, a very dark set where, you know, sometimes that detail is lost for good reason because it's meant to be yeah. a spooky horror type set with a single fractured beam of light in it, but you then don't see all the detail that's been put in, um, even though it's not going to show up, you know, in, in the final version. And I think it's that... Right layered uh, you know the the visual language goes all the way down um you know and you feel that even you never feel that it's nothing there in the shadows you know that there's uh detail all the way through yeah and um the i mean that's why we do this stuff you know it's like uh again to not be able to share to the with the people that are the re reason we're still on the air 
is like crazy. You know? And I think, Jerry, not only for the fans, but I mean, in terms of, as you mentioned before, about your legacy and the legacy of the show is now in the television history books. And I think, you know, yeah. for, for people both both present working in TV um, and in the future, what an incredible resource and an incredible documentation of, a, of, you know, the early 21st century in TV and the longest running, you know, sci-fi show ever. It's an incredible um, piece of history that, as you say, if you hadn't have taken all those photos, um, yeah. you wouldn't have had. So, But it, it's one of those things where, because yeah, I proposed this a number of times and, no, we're going to do a rap party. We're going to spend a lot of money. Everybody's going to get drunk. Okay. And then you have a hangover and, you know, <laughs> think you had a good time. Uh, but I cannot tell you how many people have notified me and said thank you because of the memento. You know, there's there's a lot of people that were on this, you know, like the Kevin Parks and, and people that dedicated their, their full, you know, uh, career to this show. And now they have a living, you know, memento that they're not going to outgrow in a jacket or they're not going to have a hangover from it. And that's, um, but it was... <laughs> it still shocks me that nobody was on board to try to do this yeah. and, and, you know, but it did get done. So I'm very, very, very thankful. Well, I, and we are too. And I think as we probably should uh, wrap this up now, um, right. I'd like everyone to unmute themselves to give Jerry a round of applause. Thank you so much. Thank you. 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 I wish I could. I wish I could see who's all on this because I know there's a lot of friends, family. You know, I want to say a special thank you and hello to my crew, my family, uh, to, to my sister-in-law Kay, because Nan has been telling me now for two hours. So, I better, so hi Kay. Um, here's my wife Nan right here. You know. Oh, and, hi everybody. Hello. Hi, hi. Thank you for letting hi. us have him for a little bit. Uh, I am, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, very happy to do this again. And if anybody else has some burning questions, I mean, it's up to you, Jules, but, you know. Oh, absolutely. Do it again. And I've got, uh, there's a few questions that we didn't get to. Um, I said you might be able to answer them on Twitter one day. I'll send them through to you. Uh, while while we've you've got a spare moment uh, before your next job, uh, we can we can keep you busy, and I'm sure there'll be um, uh, questions people have as they get the as the next lot of people get their copies of the book. But thank you so much, Jerry. I hope it's not too long before we're doing this in a bar. <laughs> Hi, Chula. <laughs> uh, I, I hope it's not too long before we're doing this. Uh, over some mescal in a in a bar somewhere, Jerry, and you can uh, start signing all the copies of those books that people will have with them. I'd be so happy to, but you know, it's like I do It'll miss uh, I do miss our tradition, which we started about four years ago. Of uh, just uh, you know, but you did have, you did have uh, which, <laughs> yeah, wasn't, which wasn't ideal, uh, but 
we had a lot of fun and it was great to meet everybody. And, I did um, give you a heart attack one year, which I apologize for that. Well, you did. Well, that was just, yeah, you did, yeah. Um, and for people but, who don't know, after, after one of our uh, sessions at the Storm Crow Tavern, very soon afterwards, Jerry had a major heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't really a heart attack. It was a, it was a planned, a very serious heart uh, surgery. But, yes. you know, I was on my last leg and I was just trying to, I said, I can't go in now. I got to be. <laughs> I'm going to the fans. <laughs> I'm on Supernatural. Yeah. Like, you know, you damn. You know, our well, fans that need was, And that's after you um, dragging yourself out of hospital for appendicitis against doctor's recommendations and seasons. Exactly. So you've got a, a long history of, of uh, not wanting to miss out on anything supernatural, Jerry. Um, but thank you so much. I'm sure we'll definitely do this again. And Great. thank you to everyone for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, I wish we could be doing this but of course there are people who've never got to uh, come to the pub gig so i'm glad that people around the world have been able to join in for this zoom session today yeah thank you very much all of you um that was really um um it's it's just wonderful to share whatever i can because uh again without you guys yeah i don't have a job and um you know and i, and I also love the fact that how obsessed our fans are because <laughs> believe me when i'm doing a set and there's something goofy in that set. I'm going like, you know what? I'm going to get emails. I'm going to get, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get shit for this. So let's fix this. You know, it's got, this has got to make sense uh, because there's just too many people that, you know, are, they, 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 they freeze frame. They go back and forth. They, you know, Hey, what, what does that mean? And, you know, but it also pushes us to the next level of actually putting things in the sets that, you know, you can pick up that the real fans and the real people that really care about the show pick up and, and other people just, you know, don't. So that's cool, too. It's like okay. a big scavenger. All right. Thanks so much, Jerry. Have a lovely evening there in Florida. All right. Come down and visit. You're Wonderful welcome. to see you, Jerry. As, as, soon, as soon as they open those borders, I'm on a plane. <laughs> All right. Love you. Take care, Jerry. Thank you, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.